The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning. The scripture this morning is Psalm 119, 25 and 28. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. This is the word of the Lord. So before I pray, uh, today is the first Sunday of the season of Lent. And I want to make sure you know about a couple of things uh, available to you um, that we're doing as a body. So the first thing is on a chair, probably somewhere close to you, is uh, one of these printouts of a Lenten reading guide. So it's, it's a guide that's just meant to take us as a body through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and each of the Scriptures that have been selected uh, center on the theme uh, that we're going to be exploring throughout our sermon series in Lent. So I'll tell you more about that in just a minute, but those should be on a chair around you somewhere if you haven't gotten one. And then the other thing is Lent is a season of fasting, and as a body, uh, we are practicing a corporate fast, and it looks a little bit different for each person and also the same for each person. So let me explain. Each Sunday, our mission team is going to be set up uh, right at the coffee bar area, and they are going to be putting together a care package for one of our missionaries. There will be information out there so you can learn about the missionary and such, but there's a way for you to participate in that. What we're doing is we're encouraging everybody in the body to choose one thing from your week that you would normally spend money on. Maybe one breakfast, one lunch, maybe one coffee, something, just one thing. And whatever you would normally spend on that, fast from that thing, and then we're going to together donate towards putting together those care packages for our missionaries, and there'll be a place to do that at the coffee bar each week. So it's unique to each of us, but yet we are also all doing it together, and you're invited in to participate in that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father, I'm grateful, grateful for set aside time, time to recenter our hearts on you. I'm thankful that we have that every week in coming together as your people, in coming around uh, this word, in coming around this table to worship and commune with you. I pray that this season of Lent would be a particularly special set-aside time for us as a body in which you renew our confidence in the gift you have given us in your word. We love you. We pray these things in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Uh, before Jesus began his public ministry, uh, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. You may be familiar with that time period. That time period is actually what the season of Lent is modeled on. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting, and Lent is a 40-day season of fasting. Uh, in order to get the 40 days, if any of you are doing the math, you have to leave out the Sundays. The Sundays count like miniature Easter's. So, 40-day season of fasting. And this year, our Lenten sermon series is also drawn from something that happened during Jesus' time in the wilderness. This morning, we're beginning a series entitled 
not by bread alone. And you may recognize that uh, from that wilderness time period. Uh, Jesus, at the conclusion of his 40 days of fasting, was tempted by Satan. Satan comes at him with three different temptations. And the very first one is, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus is obviously hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. Use your power to satisfy yourself. And in response to this temptation, Jesus defends himself with the word. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, Satan, listen, there is something that I need in this situation even more than bread. I need to know and follow my Father's will. And I do that through the word because he's made his will known through the word. Jesus says, I need his word. That will fill me more than food ever could. That will fill me and lead me to true life. Do we believe that, Shades? Do, do we believe that God's word is what we need more than anything? That's what I long for us to see this this Lenten series. The series that we're going to be doing is a little bit different than our typical everyday Sunday. Normally on Sunday mornings, we just work our way straight through books of the Bible because we want the Word of God. We believe that that is what we need the most. We've currently been walking through a series through the book of Judges. Everybody gets to breathe for a minute. We're taking a six-week break. Actually, it's more like seven when you include Easter. We're taking a break from Judges for a moment. And what we're going to be doing in this series is not walking through a book of the Bible. We're actually going to be all over the place in the Bible. We're going to be all over the place in order to get a big picture of what we believe about this book. Why we believe it. So that we might live by it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. We shall live by it. We want to see what we believe about this word, why we believe it, so that we might live by it. Shades, I'm, I'm praying that through this series, we will see and believe that this word is what we need more than anything. We're in a situation similar to Jesus. Now, we may not have hungry stomachs right now, like he did at the end of a 40-day fast. We may not have hungry stomachs, but Shades, we live in a world where we have hungry hearts, hearts that are desperately looking for certainty in the midst of an uncertain world. And we all find that certainty in someone's word. Like every single person on the planet lives their life according to someone's word. We build our life on some story that makes sense of our existence, where we've been, where we are, where we're headed. We build our life on some message, on someone's word. What, what word do you live by? Some people live by the word of atheism. There is no God. Life and existence are all one big cosmic accident. There's no ultimate purpose, so make up your own purpose. Some people live by the word of economics. I 
Life is, is about making money and gaining possessions. The more you have, the happier you'll be. Some people live by the word or the story of popularity. The more people who I know or the more people who follow me on social media, like all my posts, and the more my life will have meaning. Some people live by the gospel of identity. The more I look into myself, discover myself so that I can express myself, the happier I'll be. And on and on and on the stories go. What word do you live by? Whose word do you live by? The word of CNN or Fox or ABC or MSNBC or NBC or NPR or any other initials that you want to choose? You live by the word of the left or the word of the right? The word of Twitter or TikTok? Like, who do you look to to find certainty in the midst of an uncertain world? What word do you believe you need more than anything. What story do you believe is real? Is it one of these offered by the world or is it the one offered by this word? Do you believe this story is real? The story that God created all things Good, but through sin we brought death and decay to everything, yet in unfathomable, unexplainable grace, mercy, and love, God did not abandon his creation, but redeemed it through the death and resurrection of his own son, Jesus. Jesus, who will return one day to complete the reversal that his resurrection began and make all things new. What if that story is real? What, what would it look like to live by that word? That's all I want us to talk about this morning. Next week, we'll dig into ways we can know that this word is true, but this morning, I just want us to ask, what if it is? Like, what would that, what if this word is real? What if it is what we need more than anything? What would that mean for our lives. To see this, we're going to be in Psalm 119. And I'm willing to bet that most of you probably know at least one thing about Psalm 119. What is it? It's the longest. Yeah, everybody knows. It's the longest chapter. It is on your reading plan. Buckle up. Anyway, it is, I think you actually already hit it. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, but I wonder, do you know what it's about? Psalm 119 is a beautiful poem primarily about living by the word. And there are, there are lots of really cool things we could talk about when it comes to Psalm 119. Sure, we could talk about it being the longest chapter in the Bible. We could talk about how it's a giant acrostic. You notice each section is labeled. It's labeled with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So Aleph is your first section. Bait is your second. Basically, it's labeled A, B, C. It's just Hebrew. And that's because in that first section labeled Aleph, every single sentence in that section begins with Aleph. The next section, Bait, every single, section, every single sentence begins with Bait, and so forth and so on. It's a giant acrostic. You just can't see or appreciate that in English. We could talk about lots of different cool things about Psalm 119, but this morning... As an introduction to our series, I just want to focus in on five things. 
five things that Psalm 119 reveals about this word being real and what that means for us. So let's dive right in. Number one, if this word is real, then that means, number one, the word is true. So we need to believe it. If it's real, then that means it's true. So we need to believe it. The, the psalmist claims that this word is true, that it's real. All of Psalm 119 is based on that being a fact. But there are places where the psalmist says it explicitly, places like verse 142. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. We're going to get all sorts of synonyms for the word of God. We're going to get law, testimonies, commandments, statutes, rules. It's all talking about the same thing about the word. Right here we hear your law, your word is true. Hear the same thing in verse 151. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. The psalmist says, I've known for a long time. Basically, he means since his youth. I've known for a long time, God, that your word is true. And did you hear how he says he knows God's word is true? He says he knows it from the word. Did you catch that? Listen again. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them Forever, all of us with our post-enlightenment minds are very quick to be like, wow, psalmist, what circular reasoning you have. I know the Bible's true because the Bible says that it's true. We're going to talk about how that is not circular reasoning, and our enlightenment logic actually is. We're going to talk about it next week. That's a teaser. You get to come back. For now... Simply see that foundationally, the psalmist claims the word's real. It's true. So what does that mean for him, for us? It means we need to believe it. Psalm 119, verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust. I trust in your word. Psalmist is in a situation where he's getting taunted. Actually, throughout this series, we're gonna look at different places in Psalm 119 where we'll see this psalmist is apparently in a situation where he's being persecuted, persecuted by somebody who's, who's powerful. He's got people who are mocking his faith, trying to get him to, abandonment, uh, to abandon it. Nothing like what we experience in our world today. And again and again, we're gonna see this psalmist, we're gonna see his his faith find strength, his faith be strengthened through the word because he trusts in God's word. He believes it. That's what he said right here in verse 42. I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. I'm gonna be strengthened. My faith will be strengthened for, why? Because I trust, I believe in your word. And he believes it because he knows that it's true. This is the first thing that we need to see if the word is real. Just asking you to say what if. If it's real, then it means this word is true, so we need to believe it. Number two, if this word is real, 
then that means the word is good. So we need to seek it. If it's real, that means it's good. So we need to seek it. All over Psalm 119, like I encourage you to read it, all over Psalm 119, you will constantly find the psalmist talking about the goodness of God's word. Verse 103, he's going to talk about how it is better tasting than, than honey. Verse 72, he'll talk about how God's word is more valuable than silver or gold. Seek it more than, than treasure, more than the finest of foods. It's so good that he actually tells us he seeks it with his entire being. Psalm 119 and verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. That's a strange sentence to me. That would be especially a strange sentence to teenage Jonathan. Because when I was a teenager, I hated most of the rules that my parents gave me. And the reason is because I didn't understand their purpose, their value, their goodness. But the Lord in his great kindness has done to me what he does to a lot of teenagers who grow up to be parents. He's given me eyes to see. <laughs> These days when I call my parents, my conversations with them typically begin this way. I'm sorry and I love you. Because I now know the purpose, the value, the goodness of everything they were trying to teach me or guard me from or, or whatever. And now I seek to teach most of the same things to my teenagers. Because when you see the goodness of someone's word, you seek after it. And the psalmist seeks the goodness of God's word. He seeks it so fervently that he says that seeking consumes his entire being. Can we say the same thing? Like shades. If this word is real, then here's what that means for you and me. It means the word is good. So we should seek it. Number three. If this word is real, then that means the word is right. So we need to obey it. If it's real, then that means it's right. So we need to obey it. Psalm 119 and verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Verse 172. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. If this word is real, that means it's not just true, it's not just good, it's also right. In other words, it leads us in the right way. That, that means, therefore, we don't just believe it, we don't just seek it, we, our lives are actually meant to conform to it, we, we obey it. 
That's how the entirety of Psalm 119 actually begins. Psalm 119, verse one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk, that's who live, who follow, whose manner of life, those who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Notice here. Notice how the psalmist talks about obedience here. He doesn't describe it as something that he does reluctantly, something he does joyfully. It's not like, oh, well, the word's true. That means it's right. So I'm just gonna do what it says whether I want to or not. No, he also recognizes that the word's good and it's for his good. And so he obeys it with joy. Did we not read that he sings, he rejoices, he sings about the rightness of God's commands? Right here in Psalm 119 and verse one, the very opening word of the entire psalm is blessed, asherah. We talked about that Hebrew word a lot. We talked about it back in our psalm series. We talked about it in our series through the Sermon on the Mount when we started with the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, blessed. It's all rooted in that Hebrew word asherah and the most Basic definition I can give to you of that word is truly joyful. You want to know what the blessed life, the good life, the life that leads to true joy and unshakable joy that circumstances can't rob you of? A joy that's real, that's not flippant, that pretends like everything's always okay. A joy that is real, firm, on a foundation. You want to talk about joy that's truly joyful now and forever. Psalmist says, here's where it's found. Not in where you might think it is, whatever this world tells you, the stories they give you, the economic story, the popularity story, the identity story, whatever it is. It's not found there. I don't care how much it looks like it. It's found in walking in the way of God's word. Truly joyful are those who walk in the way of the Lord. Truly joyful are those who keep his testimonies. Truly joyful is obedience. That's what the psalmist is saying. And why? Why does he think that way? It's because of the one whom he obeys. Listen again to Psalm 119 and verse two. Listen to it again. Blessed, truly joyful, are those who keep God's testimonies, those who obey, truly joyful are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. The chief feature of Hebrew poetry is something called parallelism. In other words, the lines come at you in pairs constantly, saying the same thing twice but in a little bit different of a way. The lines mutually interpret one another. In other words, blessed, truly joyful are those who keep his testimonies. It's parallel to who seek him with their whole heart. In other words, his testimonies are the means by which you seek him. And you seek him through his testimonies. Shades, true obedience isn't merely doing what God says. It's delighting in what God says. Because through it, you get God. We come to know him. Shades, the 
the psalmist loves the word because of whose word it is. We believe in him. We seek him. We obey him. Which we can only do if this word is real and able to empower such lives of obedience. That's what we see in number four. Number four, if this word is real, then that means the word gives life. So we desperately need it. If the word is real, then that means the word gives life. So we desperately need it. Psalm 119, verses 25 and 28, which are the verses that Bill read to you just a moment ago. Verses that I think depict the aim of what we're trying to do through this entire series. See the the necessity and the certainty of the word of God and that it is the thing amidst all the other stories, amidst all the other words, amidst all the other messages, it is the thing that actually gives the life it claims to give. If the word is real, it gives life, so we desperately need it. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me or sustain me according to your word. The the psalmist is convinced that the word of God is what gives him life and it's what strengthens, it's what sustains his life. That's true, physically and spiritually. Physically, Genesis tells us that God created life by his word. Hebrews chapter one and verse three tells us that Jesus sustains all life by his word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. God gives and sustains physical life by his word. But the psalmist isn't actually focused on physical life right here in verse 25 and 28 of Psalm 119. He's focused on spiritual life. He's talking about how the word of God gives life to his faith. This is how, this is how for you, Shades, this is how your faith was originally given life by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ. Like you heard The word and the spirit who inspired this word, who wields it as his sword, Ephesians 6 says. The spirit of God moved through this word and gave you, gave you freely. That's why we call it grace. Gave you spiritual life and you breathed the breath of faith. And through this word is how the spirit goes on sustaining that faith. It is is through the word that this psalmist is seeking to have his faith strengthened, sustained amidst an adverse, uncertain world, even as he feels like his soul is melting away. Did, Did you hear that? Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me, sustain me. How? According to your word. The word gives and sustains his life day by day. And it does the same for us, Shades. 
neglect the word of God and watch your faith suffocate and seek some other source to help you breathe in this world. Seek some other source, some other word by which to live your life. Shades, if this word is real, then that means this word gives life. So we desperately need it more than anything. And, and the good news, the good news of the gospel is that God gives it. He, he gives us himself by revealing himself through his word that we may have true life in him. That leads to the fifth and final thing that we need to see. Namely, if this word is real, then that means the word is enough so we can joyfully cling to it. If it's real, just asking you to play along for a minute. If it's real, then that means the word is enough so we can joyfully cling to it. This word is enough because through it, God gives us all that we need to have true life, blessed life, ashray, the truly joyful life. He gives us everything we need to have that life in him now and forever. He does that because through this word, he gives us himself. And that's what we need to have that ashray, that truly joyful life now and forever. Perhaps, perhaps this morning as I've been claiming over and over again throughout the sermon, that this word is what we need more than anything. Perhaps your heart has pushed back. You've been like, Jonathan, that's not true. What we need more than anything is God himself. I would agree. But simultaneously, I would insist that our God is a God of means. And from the dawn of time, he has given himself to us by the means of his word. Word is how he reveals himself. Words are how we reveal ourselves. If this is your first time here, you don't know me, sure, there's some things you could probably guess about me just by looking at me. You could guess that uh, I've got some eyesight issues uh, or uh, I just really want to look like a cool hipster with my circle glasses. Um, you could guess that I don't miss very many meals. Um, you could probably guess that I'm married if you're looking closely. There's a few things that you could guess. At, but, but to truly know me, like to get to know who I am and what I believe and how I think and how I feel, I've got to speak. I've got to reveal myself through words. And sure, you can look around at creation and maybe derive a couple of general truths about God. But to know him, to truly know him, he's got to speak and he has. He has made himself known to us by speaking through his word. Most fully he has done that by taking on flesh, Jesus Christ is called the word, the means by which God reveals himself. He is the word made flesh. He is the fullest revelation of who God is. Shades, how do we come to know Jesus? 
through the written word. When, when, I say, when I say that we need this word more than anything, I'm saying that because it is the means he has given us to come to know him. It's, it's like we read just a moment ago in Psalm 119 and verse two, right? Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, parallel line, who seek him. Those things are explaining one another. This is how you seek him through the means of his word. Even all, I'm not saying there aren't other means by which we can experience God. Of course there are. But even all other means by which we can experience him can only be experienced clearly through the lens of this word. Think about that with me. Prayer. Prayer is a means by which we can experience God. We do not know the one to whom we come to pray without his word. We don't know how to pray unless he teaches us, and he does that through his word. Think about communion, where we literally come week after week to commune with the living Christ. We don't know that Christ. We don't know what this meal even means without his word or creation experience God through creation, but we don't know who the creator is, nor do we know what his works are meant to reveal without his word. Shades. What we need more than anything is God himself, and he has made himself known chiefly, supremely, by the means of his word. There's this, there's this strange impulse among some Christians to act like the word of God is an obstacle in the way of coming to know God. Like it's more spiritual to like go around the word or get behind the word, to come to know him through some other means. That, that would be like my wife saying that all of my phone calls and love letters and even my speaking itself is a hindrance to her getting to know me. She'd be denying the very means by which I make myself known. There's, there's a tendency among some Christians to want to pit the Holy Spirit against the Word. That's very strange. Read through this book and see how often the spirit and word are linked. Constantly together. The spirit speaks by means of the word of God. He's the one who inspired this book. Jesus Christ said that he was giving a spirit to his disciples so that he would bring to remembrance for them all that he taught them in order that they might pass it on to us. He inspired this book. This book is his. He wields it as his sword. Ephesians 6, this is called the sword of the spirit. Not your sword, not my sword. It's the sword of the spirit of God and he is the one who makes it living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow and judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God has joined his spirit and word together and what God has joined together, let not man separate. Shades, we need this word more than anything because it is the means, the chief means to knowing the person that we need more than anyone, Jesus. Shades, through this word, 
God has given you everything that you need for true life because through this word, he has given you himself. This word's enough. So joyfully cling to it. Psalm 119, verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are the joy of my heart. Shades is, is God's word, the joy of your heart. It should be if indeed it is real. If this word is real and it's true, it's good, it's right, it gives life. Thus, it is enough. So, believe it, seek it, obey it, because we desperately need it. So let us joyfully cling to it. That is how our hearts should respond if this word is real. But I wonder, I wonder if that's how your heart is responding right now. Here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want to close quickly. As, 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 we've like, as we've like walked through these five things that it would mean if this word is real, I think, I think there are five ways your heart could be responding, one response to each of those things. I want to close very quickly by describing them to you for two reasons. First, so you can think about which one describes the response of your heart. And second, because these responses are like a roadmap for where we're going for the next five Sundays. So if you feel one of these responses, there's a Sunday coming where we're gonna sink down into exactly what I think you need. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Which of these five describes how your heart is responding right now when I say this word is real? Number one, I can't believe it. Like Jonathan, everything you've said, everything you've read out of Psalm 119 about God's word being real, I simply can't believe that any of that is true. If, if that's you, then your heart needs to see the reliability of the word. And that's all we're gonna talk about next week, that we can believe this word is true because it is the reliable word. Number two, Maybe you're responding with, I don't see it. Jonathan, it's, it's, it's not that I can't believe the word. It's just this word, if I'm being honest, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. I can't clearly even see what it says. So how can I do all those things, rejoice in it and obey it and all of that kind of thing? If, if that's you, then your heart needs to see the clarity of the word. Clarity, that, that's what we're going to be covering on the third Sunday of Lent, that we can understand this word because it is the clear word. Third response, I won't receive it. I won't receive it. Like, Jonathan, I don't have any problems believing that this word is true, and I can clearly see what it says, but I just flat refuse to submit my life to it and obey it. If that's you, then your heart needs to come into confrontation with the authority of the word. It's good authority. That's what we'll be diving to on the fourth Sunday of this season, and we will see this is the authoritative 
word. Number four, fourth response. I don't need it. Like, Jonathan, I'm fine on my own. Doing great at this thing called life. The word that I'm currently living by is working. I don't need God's word. If that's you, then your heart needs to see the necessity of the word. Hopefully, that's what we will see together on the fifth Sunday of Lent. That there is no salvation, no truly joyful life now or ever without the word because it is the necessary word. Fifth and final response. I do believe it. I do see it. I do receive it. Because I know I need it. If that's you, then I want you to see that through the word, you have everything you need to have true life. I, I want you to see the sufficiency of the word. It's what we will aim to see on Palm Sunday. That through this word, you've got everything you need for certainty amidst an uncertain world. We, we need to see that shade so that through this word, we will be a people who joyfully cling to Christ. Shades, this is, this is where we are headed in this series. And this morning, I just want to invite you to come with me. Come with me to see the reliability, clarity, authority, necessity, and sufficiency of the word of God. And I pray most of all that through it, we will see the real Christ and joyfully cling to him as the one we need more than anything else in life.